is the Generations to Hunt podcast, where the goal is to learn together and further the culture of hunting. Welcome back to the Generations to Hunt podcast. Uh, with me today is Joe and I'm Matt, your main two hosts. We don't have a guest today, but uh, Joe, how's everything going for you? Um, it's going pretty good. Um, I just put a small food plot in my hind in the back 40, basically. Um, just put some buck brunch from Big Time. I really don't know what's in it, to be honest. That's... But I did a soil test. And my soil test said I just needed 13-13. So I just sprinkled some of that, rototilled it up, and we actually get a lot of rain. So I was, say that, it, it's been really crazy with the rain and lightning. So Yeah, the timing, uh, do you think it's a little late? Like Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a little late for it. But I had some spare time, and I seen the weather was going to be pretty rainy, and then, like, sun, and then rain again. So I think it, it probably won't, like, flourish, but... I, I think that it'll be palatable for the deer, for sure. Yeah, it'll be enough to get something in. And I don't think they're going to... Um, once the ag comes away from the, out here, there's really, like, no food source around. So if I can just, like, hit them a little bit with that and just... I'm just do it for the deer, you know. Um, what's that called? like a food source yeah just a like food a, source for them so like they, their nutrition yeah or, nutritional I, gotcha. I just do it I, i'm like i don't even plan on hunting it i just really do it just so they have something maybe late winter they they can live off something but yeah for sure yeah. what about you matt uh well it sounds like you're probably doing better than i am so i found out well, I go to the doctor tomorrow but i think i have a hernia so i'll probably have to get surgery for that so i'm hoping i'm healed enough to at least walk into the woods. I don't think it's going to affect my ability to pull a bow back, but we'll see. I guess I'll find out tomorrow. Um, so I'm probably going to have to be calling on some buddies to come help drag a deer out because I don't think I'll be doing that for at least the next two months. So other than that, I mean, things are looking up. I got to get a couple tree stands trimmed and then uh, life will be pretty good after that. We'll be all set, ready to go. So you plan on doing a lot of presets this year or is it going to be kind of hang and bang stuff uh it'll be mostly presets so like i got the new xlp stand so i'm gonna try it before i get down to like kansas which will be all obviously just hang and hunt but here most of the stands are going to be preset and then i'll adjust on the fly basically. like i won't move a stand especially now that i have the xlp mm-hmm. but like i'll just you know if i'm sitting somewhere the, the, the places these stands are in are historically decent spots. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a couple new setups from like last year, like, hey, let's let's check something out over here. But it's not like uh, anything's too crazy new. But, you know, if I am hunting somewhere and things are looking good 100 yards down, I'll bring out the uh, XOP and hang and hunt for sure. So, I mean... You use a lot of ladder stands, right? You're hmm. are you hanging and hunting, or you? Well, we have the one ladder stand. That's a and that's the one that was like JT was hunting. In. But uh, last year I did a lot of hanging hunts, but 
I guess it was all right if I didn't know that fucking dude was in my bedding zone with a pop-up TV blind. <laughs> but um, yeah, I can't believe people that just I understand people just don't know. But when the trespasser, you thought they'd be a little bit smarter than that, but like it's not. Well, it's I mean I've I've been out there once. It, there's a fence on the back side, so I mean it's not like. And I don't understand how they really kind of... Oh, they knew. Yeah. Yeah, come on. You can't just play ignorance. And <laughs> So this year we're going to post no hunting or no trespassing, but I don't think that will do anything, to be honest. I The place I hunt in Ovid, the guy actually, like, because the woods is separated into, like, three different landowners, and he posts it so we see the signs. And he actually spray paints them, too. And I'm actually super happy he does that, you know, because... Now it's not as bad. Like the first couple of years I hunted it, we didn't really hunt that far down there. But, you know, in the middle of the night or not in the middle of the night, but in the early morning when it's dark out, you're walking in, everything looks the same. And, uh, you know, we would kind of hang and hunt a lot more than, you know, it'd be nothing if he didn't have those signs for me to accidentally walk over onto his property and not realize it till it got light out. So... I enjoy the fact that that guy posts his property line so well because it prevents me from making a dumb mistake and hunting over where I'm not supposed to be at. Mm. Yeah, but I think 70% of my stands are traditional hang-ons, you know. I don't think I I only have that one ladder, and that's my brother-in-law's, and that's because he hunts out of there a lot too with a gun, so it has that rest and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, I don't. I'll probably this year. I'll probably do a lot of hanging hunts because I might do some public land stuff. So I really don't feel comfortable leaving my stand out there. I've heard of, you know, going in the stand and you find a good one and then you uh, take the last two steps off. Yeah, I've heard of that. But if I got my little custom out there, <laughs> I'm not leaving that baby. No. So. Yeah, I I'm gonna. I say I'm going to dabble in the public land, but we'll see. I mean, uh, I, I'll, I'll guarantee you, like, if I go out to both of my spots and I'm seeing good bucks from day one, public land's pretty much going to be ruled out unless I have just, like, really bad weather or wind direction for both pl- both places and I just really want to go out, then I might go hunt some public land, but... I don't know. I mean, I'd like to give it a try. It's just, it's hard to say. I mean, when I'm in Kansas, it'll be public land, but that's a lot different than, you know, that's a lot different than here. So, I mean, I'm not too worried about it. All right. Well, we just gave like a little tip. I think that's what our today episode is going to be about is um, just some little things we picked up along the way to help out people. Um, little do's and don'ts. I mean, we're no long, I mean, we're not experts or anything. So, I mean, don't take our set in stone. Like we, you know, we could be totally wrong, but, um, that's just some things we picked up along the way that makes things a little bit easier or, you know, simply some things I didn't really know. And then it's just, yeah. So I'd say a lot of mine. So for like, a lot of my do's and don'ts are from making, I guess, those kind of mistakes um, or from, I guess, listening to other people and maybe some issues they had um, as far as the don'ts go. But, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on these. Like We've kind of discussed a little bit before with hunting. There's a million different ways to do it. One 
one thing might work one day, one might not work that day. I would say I'm going to stick more to kind of, uh, I guess, like vague or not, I guess not vague, but like kind of just basic hunting stuff. Like, um, I mean, I kind of thought about it, but, uh, you know, like if you're hunting private land, kind of like how to deal with land, like different landowners, you know, um, because if you're getting permission or you're leasing it, that's your ticket. I mean, if you have one bad relationship with your landowner, that could potentially lose your spots and there's not really a lot of spots left over privately. Well, right. So like, I mean, for example, I have two places I can hunt. So one I'm leasing and one I don't lease. The one I don't lease is a really good friend of mine, you know, so I can get away with more on that property. Right. So like, um, he pretty much gives me free reign to go out there and watch the property, um, manage it, take care of food plots, you know, allows me to make food plots, allows me to do stuff like that. I don't bring people out there, just uh, kind of a respect thing. It's not my property, but if I were to bring someone out there, I don't know that he would care, but I would still ask him, you know, like, hey, are you cool if I bring someone out here? And... Um, just out of the respect of the fact that it's his, his property. Um, now the place I lease that landowner is way different. <laughs> like I can't plant food plots. Um, in fact, I can't even really small game hunt it. And it kind of makes sense because all the rabbit hunting is like up by the house. So shooting guns up by his house probably isn't the best idea. So I'm not too worried about that. But then like, you know, he's talking about possibly logging off his woods, which, I'm unsure on how, I mean, for him, it makes sense. It's a financial gain for him, for me, for hunting, for the first couple of years of that, it's not really that beneficial. Well, and you got to look at it this way. When they do some logging, um, it does take off the canopy on the trees, you know, because you couldn't, right. and then you get new growth. So, and yeah, really I mean, like I would that, say like so, I mean, three to five years after they do it, but then, I mean, it's, you know, how many trees are going to be left. I mean, there, there's just a lot of things that I don't know, but like if you're going to be, so if you're a new time hunter and you get permission to hunt private property, you know, if it's a family member, if it's a, uh, you know, a buddy of yours, I would say first thing you need to do is make sure either a, you're the only one hunting it, or if there are other people hunting it, you talk to them. I would say the biggest issue I see, I see it all the time on Facebook and talking to other people. Oh, I got permission to hunt this property. And then they had other people hunting it and it's a huge ordeal, which almost, I would say, always ends up in somebody losing that as their spot. <laughs> and if you're the new guy, I would almost bet that you're going to be the one that gets booted out, right? And it's not safe, too, because, I mean, I'm not saying everybody's going to shoot at a sound, but it does happen. And especially if you know, you think, I don't know, you, you think you know what you saw, maybe, or something, and you know that no one's supposed to be out there and you accidentally shoot somebody, that would be really unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, the safety, especially during gun season. Or you get shot. I mean, yeah. that would really suck, too. I would definitely not. No, yeah, that. I mean, and you've heard of, I mean... It happens every year. I wouldn't say I had that happen, but we had an incident where 
these guys, so it's the property that was next to us. We had permission to walk through it to get where we were hunting. And opening day had gone, and eight point come running across the road, or not across the road, across the field. And they just started lighting off shots, like in the direction of my buddy's dad's house, you know. And it was just uh, kind of a fiasco. We ended up going and talking to that landowner and yeah, they, they ended up getting moved, right? Because they're kind of out there doing dumb things. Like just shooting in the direction of a house is not a wise move. Um, and then just kind of like, there was a couple other things that happened that um, it, it just ended up getting them moved um, to prevent it. So, I mean, my first bit of advice here would be if you're a new hunter, you get new private property, figure out who's hunting it. And then, uh, you know, work with them as far as figuring out where you're going to hang your stands and try to work together because you're just, it's just a, not a battle you're going to win trying to fight against them and the landowner. Because ultimately, if, if you don't own the land, the last thing you want to deal with, or if you own land, last thing you want to deal with is two grown adults arguing over, you know, something that's not even theirs, right? Mm-hmm. Um. The other thing is uh, if you go and lease land or you you get permission knocking on doors, um, I would say be pretty, uh, like, courteous, I guess. Uh, so, like, kind of go out of your way to help them out. Like, that's that'll go a long way in your ability to keep that place to hunt, especially with more people willing to lease and I guess willing to put out more money, you know, um, some farmers, I mean, you don't really know their financial situation. They might not worry too much about, you know, an extra couple hundred dollars or they might, and you just might be SOL, but you know, some farmers might see an extra $500, but see that you're out there cleaning up uh, after yourself, taking care of stuff, you know, even doing basic things around where they're at, like uh, helping with mowing the lawn or doing some farm chores here or there. It'll go a long way in keeping your ability to hunt there. Um, yeah, but- I had a buddy, um, he literally got permission because he takes his old lady's trash cans, takes the trash, and before she, he even asked her to do this, he he was one like one of her neighbors or his neighbors, he took the trash cans from the house to the end of the road one day a week when the trash comes. And he did that for like th- a couple months. And then like three months later, she was talking to him about that. And he was talking about going to hunt. And she said, well, I have all this property. If you want to hunt it, I'll give you the solo rights to it for just taking out trash cans. Yeah, that's a pretty small price to pay. I mean, especially when you... I mean, some people will lease property for, I mean, big money. I see some... I'm, Facebook marketplace and all that. And they're like 35 to four grand for 80 acres. I'm like, holy moly. Yeah. Which is probably at least half of its field. And then, you know? and then I heard some things today, but I mean, it's not so much in Michigan, but I've heard people are on waiting lists for leases. Mm-hmm. Waiting, if that person doesn't re up, they they'll turn it over. Um, that's, I mean, that's a good thing. There's, but then it's like almost who has the biggest wallet to a certain sense. So going out of your way would be definitely key for the landowner, definitely offering them meat if you do successfully harvest a deer, you know, Christmas cards, um, you know, maybe find out when their birthday is, you know, you know, 
if find out they like a bottle of wine or a bottle of liquor yeah. or something. I mean, literally the the smallest thing could really make a big difference for sure. So I, I think if you're just getting into hunting, because I think we talked about it before, some of the reason people don't get into hunting is uh, price, right? And then we're talking about big leases. So, I mean, a small thing like what you just listed might go a long way in saving you a lot of money on a, on a place to hunt. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely go about, you know, that, um, you know. Yeah, I, and, you know, it might be even volunteer the helping hand around there like just one day a month every month until hunting season or during hunting season to a farmer because farmers i I know that personally they need a helping hand all the time you know just some stacking hay and i mean to a farmer stacking hay might save them five six hundred bucks so they don't have to pay someone to come do it because obviously you're I mean, I wouldn't, if you're out stacking hay and stuff like that, I don't think, uh, I wouldn't recommend asking to get paid if, if they're letting you hunt their property. Right. Like that's kind of a, a trade-off. You know, there. just a trade, you know, mm-hmm. bargaining. Um, so another, I would say, uh, maybe don't, um, if you're just getting into hunting, is uh, be quick on the know-it-all, right? Mm-hmm. So... I'm not sure if you've ever met a hunter like this. So you take him out. Have you ever been on Instagram? I just made an Instagram, yeah. so no. Yeah, uh, shout out Matt Ray's on Instagram. <laughs> Go at him. Yeah, that's definitely a you know I'm something I'm you know I tell Matt almost every show like I just don't want people to think we're experts, but you know, and I'm not saying we don't know what we're talking about, but. You know, it's such a strong purpose now to make sure people know, you know, the, you know, the right way and the wrong way, but there's so much variable and all that. So like, and I, we just, I just don't want us to come off the sound like we know it all and we don't, but you know, we're just trying to show people, but I definitely can see your side where you just say, all right, if you know, they got velvet, this is their pattern. Okay, on a south wind, they're going to do this and all that. And it's not that way. Simply, I don't think anybody has mastered hunting. (laughs) So I don't think anybody can know it all. But I definitely say there is people out there that do have knowledge. So Yeah, I mean, I would say, so I had a buddy, he hadn't really had much deer success or whatever. So he started hunting with us and then he, he tagged out and, uh, you know, I mean, I helped him out with kind of what I knew. And then after that, like after he tagged out, I don't know if I even shot a deer. I don't think I shot a buck that year. Um, he started like acting like he kind of was like the this great hunter. Like he knew everything. He he shot all these deer and I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't shoot it. And it, it's kind of a turnoff. So, I mean, that, that's definitely the, the point I'm making. So like if you're new to hunting and you want people to share their knowledge if you act as if though you know everything after getting a deer or you know going out a couple times like people are going to be less apt to help you if you pretty much just tell them they're wrong or that you act like you know everything uh because that's kind of how i felt right like i kind of i helped the guy you know um with what i knew getting him set up and then you know his response to it was to pretty much tell me that I just had no idea what I was talking about. Well, like that's how I perceived it. 
like I didn't really want to go out of my way to kind of help him anymore. Like, you know, cause I knew, okay, so I'm going to help him. And then I'm going to have to deal with him telling me how much I don't know about like this hobby that I invest so much into. Right. So I think it's a turnoff if you, if you act like that, I'm not sure if you've ever dealt with anything quite like that. Yeah. I, I see a lot on Instagram and YouTube and all that. And there is a lot of, I think there's more positive than bad things on the internet and stuff. And I get a lot of people too, that, you know, just since we released the podcast, they're like, wow, you must know a lot about it. And I was like, <laughs> actually the opposite. You know, I started this podcast so people can learn with us and it, and that's what my main goal is this whole podcast is so we can help and and actually learn on the way and and i don't think i'll ever get to the level of actually a professional or anything but it's yeah, just something I mean, you know if i can just help one person succeed in the woods it's totally worth it so yeah i think yeah that's i mean i, I i've obviously hunted for a long time and uh, I, I feel like I have a good base set knowledge, right? But, man, I mean, there's so many variables when it comes to hunting, and there's so many different ways to attack it. So listening, like, you know, it, it's going to be great talking. You know, last week we talked to Kyle. You know, we'll have other guests on here who will be able to share their knowledge or just different ways they hunt mm-hmm. that it's like, okay, like, let's go try that out, right? Um, and I think that, that kind of leads into the first do I would say for, for first time hunters is like, try it, like just try anything. Right. It, it's, it's never going to be perfect, but like there, the, there is no golden ticket. There's right. no, there's no a B plan. There's no, if you do a and you do B, you equal success. There's there, and hunting that usually never works. And, but I'm, I get what you're saying. You're trying to, you know, filtration, what is possible and possible. Yeah. I mean, so like, I mean, there's a lot of things I've gotten just from watching YouTube videos. So like you have people like the Drury Brothers, right? So how they hunt might not necessarily relate to what you and I do. I mean, they're hunting a thousand acres of extremely well-managed land so they can shoot 180 to 200 inch deer every, every year. But that doesn't mean that there's not some things they do that we could use or tactics we use, you know, as far as, uh, maybe not to shoot 180 inch deer, but to, you know, shoot our biggest deer to date, or just to, you know, if your goal is just to shoot a buck, you know, they can, you know, you can take things from them. And I've definitely done that, whether it's watching them or, watching other YouTube videos and then just going and trying it. I mean, at the end of the day, worst case scenario, you don't get a deer and realistically out of a 90 day season, you might only be successful, what, a couple of times. So it's, it's not a big deal. So I would say if you're just getting into hunting, you know, go through the information you've got at hand and then uh, see what works, you know, just give it a shot. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work, and you're you're on to something else. Uh, that's how I've done a lot of this. And sometimes you leave frustrated. Sometimes you leave with a really great story. One of my don'ts would be, if we're on the subject of like 
Instagram and then other like 800 least um, don't say it must be nice because some of the people like the juries and all that and the, t- Tiffany and Lee, um, you know, them guys at home must be nice to have 800 acres. Well, them guys are busting their ass this whole time, you know, and I'm just saying all oh, these other people too, oh, it must be nice to have this. Man, these guys have been grinding for a long time, hustling, a lot of time away from home, you know. I think we should get rid of that word in our vocabulary. It must be nice because, you know, we're all on the same team. We're all, you know, these guys are true, you know, working for the dream and they work every day. I mean, their job is deer hunting. And, and let's say it's for the people that, you know, like us that only get a couple of weeks a year and, oh, it must be nice to go out of town. Man, you know how many hours I worked? overtime you know how many times i ate in leftovers out of of the microwave because you know i'm i'm working all this extra time to hunt so i get the opportunity to have nice things and all that i mean everybody's doing you know grinding for it so i don't think we should say it must be nice anymore yeah so i think um so people with so ultimately the the biggest thing that allowed them to have that is they have some sort of financial success to get there. But the the reason they have that financial success is a, they put a lot of work in and B they've set a lot of goals and had to sacrifice other things, um, to get to, to that position to where they could own 800 acres, you know, to where they could manage to shoot, uh, you know, these deer that we dream of. So I think that it must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't always sunshine and rainbows for them. I can imagine. This is just um, guessing, but I can't imagine it was all sunshine and rainbows to get there. But part of that, I guess, would lead into another do, which is to set goals. So I think this one kind of varies a little bit more outside of hunting. But um, for first-time hunters, um, setting goals on kind of what you want to succeed can make it a little bit more enjoyable um, because I think whenever you achieve a goal you set at, you know, it, it always feels nice, right? So the first couple years I hunted, my goal was to just get a deer, right? It was just like uh, an adult doe or any antlered buck. Like that was my, my goals. And now I would say my goals have changed a little bit uh, the does, for example, it's, it's not to just get one, it's to, to shoot a handful to help bring the doe numbers down where I hunt. And then, uh, the buck is, uh, you know, I'd like to shoot a three and a half year, uh, buck or older. Um, but then like, as far as a life goal, like my wife and I are going to, are working at, um, you know, saving up the money to get our own land. Like we want to buy our own land. You know, so that way I can continue to hunt and manage things my own way. Um, and it's just, I think once I reach that goal, I mean, it's going to be phenomenal. And I think other people should look at this. You know, your goal is to own land. And I think everybody's end goal is, is to own land too. But there's always other options. Um, um, the option of just saving up money to go for... Um, out of state hunt or even 
you know, I was kind of opposed to it, but guided hunts are, I think, well worth it. I mean, they're not a guarantee. A lot of people think guided hunts are guaranteed. You still got to get that deer. You still got to pull the trigger and all that. And um, I went out west on a guided hunt, and it was nowhere a cakewalk. I was <laughs> I was going up and down mountains, and we were spotting and stalking, and we were... We were hustling, and and I didn't even get to draw my bow back, and I think it was worth every penny, to be honest. But I mean, number my goal, my goal was just to go out west, and I said I didn't care what, and I had the opportunity to go out with some badass dudes um, out there, out to Wyoming, and I went with them on a, on a guided service, and and that opened my light, and now I just. I think it's well worth it. You know, they do, you know, them guys work hard. They're doing year round scouting. They're, I mean, all that. It's like, if you look price comparison, I mean, it's, I mean, it's almost cheaper, I think, for, you know, up in your success rate and then multiple trips. And like I said, it's not a guarantee. But, you know, if you factor in, okay, maybe one year just to go scout the land and it's 0% success and then then another year going out there and maybe having it or you can you know pay a little bit more and have go out there and you know um have this guy that's out there yearly and can get you on something that might be worth it i mean but that was like one of my goals was to go out west and 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 it took me paying a guy for a guy to service to go out there to get me out there because i was like i don't think i have confidence enough to go out there blind and now i went out there i'm like wow man it's really not that bad so i mean i think it's just setting goals like that really to push you uncomfortably sometimes sometimes it pushes you uncomfortably and that's what you have to do is kind of push yourself out of that you're normal and then you find out it's achievable so yeah i really like yeah. that so i mean i would say the same thing for so I will start this. So one of my bucket list items is to go on a guided hunt uh, for everything you just said. So, I mean, mine's whitetail, but, like, it doesn't really matter what you're going after. It, it, it The experience of a guided hunt, I think, would be a lot of fun. But back to the goals. I mean, as far as pushing you kind of out of your comfort zone, so, like, I knew for a long time I had, you know, I've hunted since I was, like, 15 but by about the time I was about 20, between 20 and 25, I started talking to people that were hunting out of state more. And, you know, they were doing all this and, and, and going out on public land. And I immediately, like, made it a goal. Like, I'm going to do an out-of-state hunt. And I think the first couple of years I was with my wife, you know, the, the financial aspect of it, it just didn't work. And it was really kind of my wife that pushed me to to take that leap. Um, because I had the, like, we had the money to go do it, but it was like, man, I'm not really sure. I don't think I should do it. And she literally was like, I think two days before I was leaving was like, Hey, listen, like, this is what's going to happen. Here's the money. Like we have the money set aside. You're going to Ohio. And I went down there and I had a blast and I've tried to go. I mean, I've only gone on a couple out of state trips since, um, mainly just because of, uh, switching jobs and other things. But, um, now, you know, like my other goal 
um, was to get out to Kansas, which is, you know, I'm doing this year. So goals for every, I think in all walks of life are huge, but like if you're just getting into hunting, I promise if you set realistic goals and I, I can't stress realistic enough because, uh, you know, for a first time hunter, you can't really go out and say, all right, I'm going to shoot 160 inch deer and I guess expect that to happen, right? Uh, that's just not, I think, I mean, I'm not saying don't set that as your goal, but like you have to understand there's a, a lot of limiting factors to what gets a deer to 160 inches. Um, you know, if you're hunting public land in Michigan and your goal is 160 inches, I think you're going to be a little disappointed and maybe give up on hunting. Whereas, you know, you know, like I said, my first year hunting, I just wanted to shoot an adult doe and any antlered buck. And, um, I didn't even succeed at that. So, um, I'm not like, what were your goals when you first started, like your first year hunting, Joe? Ooh, I don't even know if I had goals. Like, let's say it wasn't my first year hunting. I would say the first year of actually like trying to control my environment would be when I got my bow, it was to get a deer with my bow. That was like my biggest goal. I mean, besides the fact of that, it was just, um, and then I just worked my way into, and then I did succeed in that. And I was like, okay, now I did that. Now I want a buck. And then I actually failed multiple times on getting on to bucks. Well, getting close encounters with bucks. So I broke down my goal even harder. I, I, I said, okay, I want to get a buck. So why why is he not coming towards me if I'm sitting right here? He's coming out this way or, you know, why is he not coming out? I got plenty of photos of him, you know, during the night. Okay. So and I kept hearing, the you know, it's nocturnal and nocturnal. That deer's nocturnal. Then usually that doesn't mean they're always nocturnal. You're just getting in that position, in that location. That's where he's at night. You know, he could be betting 100, 200 yards away and all that. So I broke down, you know, so that's how like, I did. And I just broke down that goal. And then I, and then I didn't succeed with that goal. And I was like, okay, let's do some sub goals. Like, let's get closer to these deer. Okay, I'm going to move my stand over here. Okay, now, oh, I'm getting on deer. Okay, and then all of a sudden I harvest a buck. I go, okay, that goal is complete, but, you know, I need new goals. Okay, I want bigger deer. I want to do this, but then I do more sub goals. I say, okay, I want to get on bigger caliber deer. Okay, I'm getting on bigger caliber deer. Let's, let's, okay, that's done. Let's work on it. So my goals never stop. I mean, they, they should never stop. They should always be branching off from you or you know you you back up and you uh, you know and you go well why am i not achieving this goal is it non-realistic well, what am i not doing am i not putting it up there so and i got a nice quote and it's from a guy called clint casper and it says never teach yourself how to quit and that stuck with me really good. So I really, I love everything about what you just said. Like 
especially for new time hunters. I think if there's the best advice we've given on this small podcast or the short podcast is literally the last by three minutes of what you just said to, to really, I guess, how to break down, how to make a realistic goal, how to achieve that goal, and then what to do if maybe you're not having success in reevaluating those. I think that everything you just said is, is really uh, top-notch and on point uh, for um, what I think a new hunter should kind of strive to, to do as far as goals and, and what they want to get out of hunting. Um, as far as tactics, uh, you know, what do you got for some do's and don'ts? So I'll, I'll start with a don't. Um, don't fall for the hype of products, right? So I think products are there to help. And I think that in certain situations, products do help. Um, you know, for example, scent elimination sprays, scent elimination like bags, you know, like the scent crusher bags and all that. So I'm not saying don't get them. So I have them. So I have a little closet with a little ozone generator. I have a, um, I have the sprays and I use all the sprays and I even use this stuff called Evercalm to help kind of limit my uh, smell walking in and out. Um, and I think it helps, but it's not what I would say necessary. Like you don't need that to be successful at shooting big deer or shooting deer in general. Um, when it comes to scent, which is the deer, a deer's biggest defense, ultimately playing the wind is going to be your best bet. (laughs) You got going on up there. Um, So uh, the the playing of the wind is your your best bet, and so I guess what I refer to is like if you're sitting in a stand or you're setting a stand up, and you're unsure of where the deer are coming from. My first advice would be, where are they bedding, right? So like if you're sitting on like a field edge, we talked about sitting up on field edges which for a first-time hunter I think is a great place to start. Um, You're probably not going to want to have the wind blowing directly into the woods in which you're hunting um, because obviously that's probably where the deer are going to come out. Um, So like playing the wind I think is better than, I don't think, it is better than using and and falling for the products. Um, But I wouldn't say... You know, don't give them a try, but don't feel like you absolutely have to. You have to have this product. You got to have this scent killer. You got to have this dopey. You know, you got to have this uh, this outfit and all this other stuff because you don't like. There's just a lot of different ways to attack deer hunting um, without necessarily using those um, products. I'm not sure kind of what Joe feels on those uh, as far as products go. Yeah, I mean, I do have an ozone bag. Um, that's because there's a, I don't have that much time after work 
last year, I didn't have that much time from to go home. I couldn't, I couldn't change from work to there because it would be literally an hour back to my place and then an hour back to my lease or my property. I apologize. It's my dogs are going nuts right now. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> so, um, I didn't have a time. So, uh, I knew I stink like work and there's no time I can take a scent free shower or anything like that. So I, I, yes, I play the wind more than anything. And I just thought that ozone would just maybe give me an edge, but I don't think I, I don't think it will really, I'm playing the wind. So, I mean, it could give you that extra second. That's why I had it. Yeah. And I would say I, that's the same reason I have all of those things too. Right. Is, uh, I, th- I I do think it, it might help a little bit, but I just don't know that it's ne- like... It, it's that, that not stuff a necessity. Gets... And to be honest, I bought mine used, and I bought it used from somebody that said they didn't work at all. And I said, well... And he was selling me at a good price, and I said, well, I'll try it for that. And, and I, there's people that swear by it, and I don't know if it's, you know... I'm getting, what is it called, like marketing... On me. I don't know. I mean, I'll say with the ozone. I don't think I would have an ozone generator, you know, the ones that you hang in your stand. Yeah. I mean, I don't think. I don't know that I would. I mean, that's a like a $400 or $300. Yeah. Unit, but I like, mean, I don't think. I, I, I know ozone works. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I, I've definitely noticed a difference in how deer react to my scent when I see them and they do win me um, because it's, I promise it's not fail proof. Like I've still been winded oh, oh, using yeah. all of that stuff, but I do think it, it does help a little bit. But if you're just getting into hunting, I mean, the, I mean, the amount of money you can spend, the amount of money I've spent on sprays, I did get my, so I did get my ozone generator for fairly cheap. It was like 40 bucks. And then I actually built my little closet and then I got a tote for like five bucks that I put my clothes in and my ozone generator goes back and forth. But, uh, you know, I mean, the amount of money I've sp- spent on sprays and all that other stuff, not not what I would consider a necessity. You could definitely get away without it. And I think people, if they do want to get into ozone, you know, and all that, because there is a science behind it. And I definitely, you know, if if you need that to um, put that little twinkle in your heart to make you think you're a little bit safer, then go for it. But there's actually like DIY bags and stuff you can do, like you were saying. But I, the best one I seen was a tote, and you get a a, a twelve volt extender, and for your cigarette lighter, and you plug that in there, and you get the little cigarette lighter one, and you just stick that in the tote. And yeah, so my ozone generator has that. So I literally just took a drill and drilled a little hole in the side so I could put the um, cord in there. So now, like, if I get in my truck. I can put my tote in the passenger seat. Um, I'll be honest. I don't know if I have a cigarette lighter in the back seat, but, um, and I can just plug the it in. The cords are pretty long though. Yeah. They're like 12 foot. Like I can, I can just plug it right in. And then when I get home, I can just take it out, take all my clothes out of the tote, hang it in my little closet I made, and then hang the ge- the ozone generator back up in there. Um, the other thing, if you're just getting into hunting you go to just about any sporting goods stores and the amount of, I mean, products for hunting. I mean, there's got to be a hundred different kinds of deer pee on the market. Um, 
millions of different calls. I mean, there's a lot out there. Don't feel overwhelmed. You don't need everyone. No. Sometimes you don't even need any. You know, uh, I know you're, you rattle and you grunt, and I, I don't say that it won't work, but um, sometimes I just don't like that because I, I don't like it in my aspect because where I hunt is they're going to go down on the down leeward side of me downwind to see what buck that is to smell them and go sit check out the situation you know and they're trying to get visual contact so now you're just aware and educating this buck and he's going to go downwind and then he's going to be looking and he ain't gonna see no buck so he's going to be doing scans or he's going to be using his nose twice as hard so now i might blow this buck out before i even see this buck or if i'm doing blind calls or if i did call to him because i did this before and i called the one and he went he went away i was like what the fuck and i just watched him with the binoculars and then he went like a hundred yard circle and then he came all the way back around me and then he went downwind for me and then he came up he didn't he didn't win me but he came up and then he almost came to me in the stand and like he knew where that rattle was or that grunt call sorry right where that grunt call was but he what he knew there was something probably not right with that and he went all the way around cautiously just to try to get a visual and then came almost to the spot to scan it it's it's incredible how deer can do that so i i haven't i haven't necessarily had them so we do differ on this. So this is what I guess Joe and I have talked about it multiple times is there's more than one way to, to hunt, right? So, like, he chooses not to blind call. Um, I'm pretty aggressive with blind calling, um, especially when I go out of state. But uh, he, uh, you know, as far as the deer, like, their ability to locate sound, and, I mean, be within yards. I mean, like, right? I mean, I've ha- I don't know how many times I've called bucks in literally right to the base of my tree looking around for what that grunt just was like so it's definitely it's it they're incredible animals for sure but yeah back to my point as far as just don't don't think you have to buy everything you know don't get me wrong there have been times i've i've tried stuff just to try it you know but don't think that you have to have those products to to kill deer um you know, I, I, I don't know, like, uh, you got any don'ts for, as far as tactics-wise? Yeah, I got some. I mean, most of mine, so I do have a, if you want me to break them down, I got a lot. I, I'm i going to stray away from a lot of the hunting tactics, because, I mean, like I said, I'm not a professional, and I don't want to steer somebody wrong, and they'll be like, hey, I heard on your podcast if I did this. <laughs> but I do know some, like, I, I guess I, I'm not seeing it in my gear not, but I, I do like some good gear, so I can give some decent ones. So I'll break it down. And I can do either archery tactics or or actual just gear itself. I would say I'll probably do just do the gear one real quick because that's a little bit shorter. Like um, so like a good pair of boots, I would say would be like a really I would invest heavily in boots yeah i would say that's the if there's anything i would invest the most amount of money in it's it's boots because if you have wet or cold feet you're not gonna have a good day them are the two things and all that and then 
And then second thing would be merino wool socks and underlayers. Because if you're sweating, it doesn't it doesn't soak in there, and then it, it keeps warmth really good. I would actually, if I could go over right now, and you said I only had a certain budget that wasn't really friendly to all the expensive camo or just regular camo, I would not buy camo at all. I would buy literally, I buy a Carhartt thick Carhartt jacket, nice Carhartt pants, like neutral color, and I would buy marine, and I could only splur, I would splurge on my merino roll. Base layers, yeah, because that—that's the key. I think is your base mm-hmm. layers. So, merino wool socks and um, base layers. I would say would be before any camo. I would say them would be my number one purchase. And you can get some che- cheaper merino wool. Uh, you don't have to get really expensive merino wool, but you there is. That's what I would do. I, I I'm not even gonna recommend any camo because I would just say if you can't, if you only can buy one. You know, we acquire a lot of our stuff season as a season as a season. Yeah, so would, at the end of the uh, five seasons, we have all what we need. I would say your merino wool would be your best bet. Yeah, for, it's definitely so over the years. So I I made this mistake, right? I spent a bunch of money on a brand new sweet Under Armour suit. I thought it was amazing. Um, yeah, I would tell you right now, the very first winter, I quickly realized, like, man, like, it's nice. You know, it's it's user-friendly. It's kind of good in all weather. But without base layers, it's kind of useless in anything below about 40 degrees, right, without, you know, without having any base layers. Um, and so, yeah, if you don't have decent, and I'm not saying going and buying high-end base layer. It's, I think, the the merino wool the the um material it's made from as opposed to the name that's on it is what's going to help you but yeah i would i would invest there are two things yeah i would recommend a new hunter to invest in a good pair of boots whether it's muck boots lacrosse uh man there's so many different kinds uh what literally whatever you like fits you and it's comfortable for you, I, I would do that, but make sure that they are gonna keep your feet warm. And then, yeah, good good amounts of base layers. I yeah. mean, it there really is, so like, it's easier to take clothes off than just to put clothes on. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that the hard way, because there have been times I've had hunts where I just, I gave it up, you know, because I was just so oh, cold. Just, um, and, um like, don't quote me on this. Like I said, I'm not a professional. Actually, I was learn, looking into this, and I found out that you want, if you're buying a boot for later winter, you know, if you got to, or if you don't have that luxury, um, actually buy a loose-fitting boot so you have an air gear, you know, an yeah. air barrier. So you actually want an air barrier from the boot itself to your sock. So you actually want a loose, like if you wear like 11, get a 12 and that and that does give you opportunity to double layer socks because that really sucks if your boots really tight and you double layer socks and it doesn't but uh actually i found out it was better because i was double layering socks and then i was talking i was talking to somebody and they said and all this and it's really sad because i have uh um you know i did insulation for a long time and, and thermal barriers and all that well they said you know you need that airspace in there 
that will actually insulate it better. So actually having a loose fitting boot, boot is better for you. Yeah, I would, uh, I've read that too. And then, so like my wife actually bought me a new pair of muck boots that weren't as tight around the ankle, right? So now when I put, so like last year I got to try them out uh, for ice fishing. And uh, when I put my boot in, like it's not super tight around my ankle. And I noticed my feet didn't seem to get as cold. And based on that, right there um because my other muck boots were really nice but i'd wear two pairs of socks and still just be freezing and then the problem is there's no air in there so my little foot warmers didn't work real well um but i mean i'm gonna i'll be honest i'm probably just gonna invest in a pair of nice heated socks this year and just not have to deal with it anymore um another thing too for for gear is uh actually a a boot gator, a leg gator. You ever wear one of them? No, I haven't, but I do. So one of the guys I hunt with, he has them and loves them. Yeah, loves I, them. I'm huge. Like, I really, like, like I actually got mine. Um, I got a Sitka gators, but it doesn't really matter. You can get um, basically anyone. Because it was just, like, walking in that morning dew and all that. Like, I wear a lot of Carhartt pants, like, when I'm going, so it's not really water-resistant and all that. And that's what I usually hunt with just my pants. I never really found camo pants. They just either really expensive and they don't do the warmth, or they just, um, I mean, they do for water, I guess. That's the only way I would wear camo pants, but I just always like Carhartt pants or some kind of like that. But uh, that morning dew or going through snow, not going in into your boot, it, that's a real benefit. And I really didn't know that till later, you know, like a couple of years ago about a gator and a gator actually is i like them a lot better and i i use that hell out of them and out in wyoming when you're going up rocks and all that you're not you know rocks are not going in your stuff and sand and all that and it keeps everything dry it's they're really nice uh yeah so a foot gator would be really nice a nice investment too i mean you know and then then we can go in like pa- uh, packs I can't even give you tips on packs because there's so well, many out there. I wouldn't say necessarily. So I'll tell you my backpacks I've used have been like the ones you get at Walmart, right? But I'll tell you from someone that didn't used to use a backpack, if there's anything I would take into the woods is a backpack. Oh, yeah. Because you're sitting there for a couple hours. You're going to get thirsty. You're probably going to get hungry. Um you can carry other things, whether it's hand warmers, foot warmers, um, deer calls, um, extra clothes if needed, you know, if you do mm-hmm. get cold. Or if you get warm, you have somewhere to store that shirt that you take off, um, your hunting knife. I've even put my tags in there. Um, I put zip ties in there because that's how I put tags on. Um, and you can literally get these for like five ten bucks at walmart yeah. and it, it serves the, it serves the purpose and i don't know i if i walked into the woods without one now i just i don't yeah. know how I, how I would maybe be able to make it through it's yeah i i personally can't give a recommendation because i have backpacks that from gander mountain you know like you said 25 30 bucks and i have packs all the way up to 400 dollars. so i mean it, you just got to fit you know a lot of reviews a lot of youtube that's what i did every pack it fits people different um a frame pack would be but that's kind of more advanced than i would say midwestly a frame pack would i mean 
I don't know, man. They're getting to the point where I see a lot of people cording up bodies or deer and stuff, and frame packs are coming in really, I think. Yeah, but I, I would say but for a first-time hunter, like. Even not a first-time hunter. I'm just saying I, I, I wasn't a first-time hunter. I, I mean, there's for a For a first-time hunter, I think you can get away with the, like, Walmart pack. Oh, so. for sure. Now, I will say if you're going out west. I, I don't have a I don't have a ton of experience to go out west, so I, I don't know anything about packing deer in, packing bear in, you know all that. So I would say most of I would, all of my experience is based off of whitetail, um, and it's it's ninety nine percent here in Michigan. So I would say, you know, a nice cheap Walmart five ten dollar camo backpack, and really it doesn't even have to be camo. Like you could get away if you find a nice cheap, you know, like black brown you know just a, a plain color um backpack it's gonna serve the same purpose i mean i'll be honest i would stay away from like the ones that you get at school that are all like vibrant colors and stuff like that um that's there's no science i don't know that i've read a scientific study that says hey the that is gonna steer deer away i mean i wear hunter orange but that's just a personal preference. I, I would say if that's all you've got, give it a try, and I think you'll be just fine. Um, another one is uh, Luco tape. You ever use Luco tape? It's just regular, basically medicine tape almost, but it's like the stickiest tape in the world. So it's a, it's for like blisters and all that. So when your feet start getting hot, like on the back of the heel, like if I wear like rubber boots and all that. Before it actually gets to a blister, you take it off and use this Luco tape, and it saves the friction, and it will save you. That's more for, like, if you're doing some deep wood stuff, but definitely, like, if you invest in a roll, you're good for, like, two... But the Luco tape, is, oh my God, it's it's. But if you have a blister, do not put your the Luco tape on there because it will rip that blister more. So, but uh, Luco tape is a, I think a great investment for people with muck boots and all that because I do get blisters like the first like two weeks in in the year, you know when my feet. Are, but I, I work well, in construction, so I'll be honest. That's I never. I've never heard of that, so I promise after this, I'm gonna be. You need to send this to me. Yeah. I, um, the other, other thing brands, is, I think Luco is like the most popular one, and, and like I yeah. said, it's like sticky as hell. So for me, during season, that's not as big of an issue. For me, it's in the summer, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm doing a lot more walking around. The other thing is, is my boots are too big. Remember, mm-hmm. because of what we talked about earlier. And I only wear one layer of socks, so you're, it's that grinding a lot more. Yeah. And I find in the summer that, ex- that that exact thing happens as far as getting in the blister on the back of my my foot. Um, I never would have thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's called Luco tape. Uh, you you couldn't pay me a million dollars to spell that right now, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But I think that's my last kind of gear tip for right now, or besides like headlamps and stuff. But I think there's a, I think basically all of them are common knowledges. So, uh, we can go on like a little bit of archery stuff if you want some stuff. Like, um, my biggest thing, like, because you know, I'm a big archery guy, um, I'm actually gonna break the mold and go against the grain. I would not buy a bag target. I would not. I wouldn't go with a bag target. Cause I would spend the money. And I started on a bag target. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I like. 
I think for the money of a phone, because they're intimidating, they are more money, but I have a cube, um, the block, I have a block and I have a Reinhardt, but I have a block. I think I spend like a hundred bucks on it. I got it on sale at like Bass Pro or whatever. They go on sale here and there, but um, you can't, with a bag, you can't broadhead tune. Correct. And... And after so long, you get the strands, they start ripping out and all that. I get a season out of a bag. With that cube, if I take it up nice and care of it, take it inside, not leave it out in the weather too much, but I do leave it out there sometimes, um, they they last like three, four years. And that's and I'm pounding them. And I'm doing like 1,500 arrows on a side, and it's still pretty good. And The other thing with the foam compared to the bag target is those bag targets are so heavy. Mm-hmm. The foam targets are like half the weight and take twice the damage. I know. And then if you leave them outside, they get saturated with water. They oh, yeah. freaking suck. And it never lightens up after that. Mm. I know. I have a bag target at home. No. And then the, the, that was like straight my way into like why uh, broadhead tuning, I think, would be a really good do is like, like my arrows I shoot this year or last year, I shot a. Uh, double bevel um fixed blade shot my field tips all that and then i was like okay you know just get it straight and then i put my field tips or my uh my broadheads on there three inches to the right three inches to the uh three inches low i'm like whoa and that's uh, i i i kind of noticed it with like mechanicals you can kind of get away with it because i use swackers or whatever you use mechanicals do fly better you don't have to do as much adjustment and all that and you know i used to just don't i was guilty of it i used to just put oh field tip boom 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 all right screw on broadhead didn't even shoot the practice tip or nothing but but yeah but and i only had a bag target so i never had anything to practice and you shoot mechanical in the bag you're either losing that mechanical on that and then i was really opposed for i you know you know, I, you spend 30, 40, 50 bucks for three pack of broadhead. Yeah. I'm not going to want to shoot that in a foam target. Then you're going to doll it. And then, then, um, and make sure you have a practice tip with the spanables because if you shoot a, a actual tip in there, you're yeah. not going to get it out. So I think that would be a huge benefit for people to actually shoot a broadhead if they're using a fixed bit or fixed blade and, or, uh, mechanical is actually see the flight pattern because just because and I was shooting that three inches to the right three inches low that was at 30 yards could you imagine I mean I'm not shooting at 40 or 50 but you know I mean yeah it's gonna be way it's up. gonna be well I learned that, that I would say the hard way so I will say one of the reasons I use mechanical is because of that reason like I don't have to generally go out and tune it so when I say I don't have to, I would still recommend it. I mean, they have practice tips. You'll use that. But, um, I mean, I've missed. I, there was one season I bought a set of broadheads, uh, fixed blade, and I same thing. You know, I was younger. I didn't really realize, like, hey, you know, this should fly the exact same. I missed, like, three deer and dumped them, not realizing that the problem wasn't the broadhead. The, the problem was, was me and, and not having my bow tuned to the, to the broadhead. Um, and then I just went to mechanical, right? And didn't have that issue anymore because mechanicals are shaped extremely similar to a field point. Um, 
But then a couple years ago, my buddy had issues with his fixed blades, and he's like, you know, I just need to tune them. And he, I was like, what do you mean? Like, it should just shoot. Like, what are you talking about? And he started making, like, small adjustments with his rest, uh, small adjustments with his, like, sight. And uh, next thing you know, he was able to get his broadheads and his field points to fly together with just a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only reason I haven't switched back now is I live in the city. I don't have a bunch of time to go shoot uh, broadheads into a target. I don't have a foam target. So I just, uh, I've just stayed with mechanical, but I got on my way over here. I was talking to my buddy about making the switch eventually back to, uh, fixed heads. There are benefits to both. Uh, I mean, it yeah, just, I've killed it, deer with both. So yeah, I mean, I don't say one's better than another one and I will not get in that argument with anybody right now. What one is the best? Because I don't know what one's the best, and I don't think there is the best. At the end of the day, as long as you put the broadhead where it's supposed to be, it does not matter. Right. So, um, another one would be uh, paper tuning. I mean, that one's kind of more advanced, I would say, but it's not really that difficult. If you, if you, you know, you just take a regular piece of printer paper. I don't know, a piece of junk mail. You can probably do it with. You just, you know, hang it up. And then you just shoot your arrow through there, and then you go on, type in paper tuning bow on Google, and it will show you if you have a knock tear low right, knock tear low left, what to do, and it will correct it. And that's just something real simple and all that, and that will get you out there. And then the, you can do deeper dives into it if you really want to, but I think if you do that, it will help you out a lot with the guesstimation of, okay, do I have to move my rest or do I have to move my sight pin or all this? So I think if you do paper tuning, it will help you out a lot more. I mean, there's a lot more advanced ways, but I'm just trying to show you the the spark notes of tuning and all that. So if you want to go deeper, YouTube it or whatever, but paper tuning, I think would be a definitely do. Um, And then, so another thing is peep aperture size. I used to be, oh, I want the biggest peep ever. So actually you want, sometimes, I mean, it's whatever all preference. And this is me, what personally, what I found out, and it actually helped me is uh, I thought my eyesight was getting bad. You know, I did, re- I use, you use contacts too and all yeah. that. Uh, I thought my eyesight was going bad because my pin was uh, getting blurry on me. Yeah. From going to my hunting rig to my, uh, I, was, I was like, with my target rig, I had a smaller aperture. I thought that was just to do with a lens. That's all. I was like, nothing to do with hunting. You want a big one for hunting. Actually, if you want a lower, smaller peep, it actually brings more light through it and actually clears up your picture a lot more. So actually, I mean, you, you definitely want to go into a shop and you definitely you can experiment with sizes. So I think, you know, find what one works with you. I'm just saying that there were some people I know personally that were struggling with blurriness, and I I told them, hey, you know, it could be your peep. It's not it not my ear, and then it just lets in more light, and then actually clears up your picture of your sight. So that's a quick thing too, because I used to be what is it half? I don't know what three eighths like half. It, I'm not it, sure how big mine is. Uh, I mean, I thought bigger the to, better, but <laughs> you'd uh, have to look at mine. I don't deal so much with that. My contacts are the biggest negative i have because uh and it's not in like when i've been deer hunting but like 
they'll get dry mm -hmm. and they'll move. So then I'll be at like full draw and like it's it's kind of a pain. But I didn't know that. I I just figured, uh, yeah, the bigger the better for sure. So again, I'm I'm learning things today on no. the podcast. I just had no idea yeah. about. Yeah. I mean, it's just these little things. I mean, there's probably a lot better, more qualified people. I mean, a really good do would be to go to your local shop. And I know a lot of people don't have. And right now, it's probably really hard, too, if you do it right now because they're pretty busy. And they're not going to give you, you know, they're just trying to pump bows out right now. They're trying to be, you know, they're trying to run a business. And, yeah. you know, and this is their time they make money. And, you know, and and i'll branch off on this um i think the best time is you know to support these guys year round you know just not just when you need them now you know go in there when you you know try to go in there buy your targets in there yeah it might be ten dollars more to buy a target or whatever from here to, to the internet but you know that's your support in your local one because guess what when your bow is doing something crazy and they do sometimes they just some bows just act up and you know what I mean? They're going to be your best ones because, you know, I personally don't, you know, I don't have a bow press. Yeah. I mean, what's going to happen, you know, when you need new strings and all that? And guess what? You find out that your local dealer went under because, you know, people. Yeah, now you have to drive two hours yeah, to go I get mean, a new string. I mean, we're kind of fortunate where we're at, but yeah. I know there's places up north and stuff. They're the closest bow shops, hour, two hours away. I mean, that's what a good thing is. Definitely just go in there. Even if you. You, you know, you just go in there and just, you know, do a friendly conversation and all that. And, you know, if they're not busy, just talk to them and all that. And buy something for 2 $3, you know. Sometimes, most of the time, they have, like, baits or whatever, like a like fishing line or fishing lure or something. Something nice, too. Just going in there to support your local dealer, I think, would be a real, real good thing. I think a lot of people have to do that. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with working on yourself, but... I think going to your dealer would be... If you're a new hunter, I would highly recommend taking it to a bow shop. If you... I mean, but if you enjoy being frustrated, um, I would say go for it. You know, try it yourself. But I can tell you, you could go to a bow shop and because they're it's a local shop, you can literally just... I, I mean, I've stood there and watched what they were doing, oh, asking yeah. questions. Oh, yeah. They're, they're sure. more than well... like more than willing to be like, oh, yeah, like, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. Like, they're not they're not taking your bow and, like, you know, taking it out back and, and doing random things to it. Like, they'll, they're literally generally have the stuff set up right there and you can watch them do almost everything. And a lot of things you kind of have to be there for, you know, when they set your peep, set, you know, I use a kisser button, set your kisser button, things like that. So, I mean... I mean, you can even go there, you know, you know... And they're the hot one. They're, they're going to be talking to all the hunters. So, mm -hmm. and you know, you can talk to them, and, you know, if they're not busy or whatever. Just talk to them and go, hey, what, what are other people saying? What are the deer doing? What is, yeah. What, what are they doing? For sure. And um, a good thing, too, is go in there to go buy tags if they sell tags. That's what I, I'll go to mine, and I'll go just to buy my tags. You know, it, it's sometimes it's not convenient because i can just go run to a myers or whatever but i'll go to them and just go hey man what's you know what what have you guys been seeing and you know what you've been doing so but yeah definitely support your local dealer i think that would be the best yeah um so we focused a little bit on some some don'ts but i think some do's so i'd say one do especially you know for, for new hunters which we're kind of focused on right now is uh find a buddy 
like I don't know about you. I mean, we've hunted for a long time. I still would rather hunt with a friend than to go hunt alone, mm. right? Like, it's not so much, uh, I mean, that I need them there, but, like, the story, the camaraderie afterwards. The other thing is is bouncing ideas off of them. Like, that's how I learned as a hunter. Me and, and my buddy Tyler, we grew up hunting together, and, you know, we would just bounce ideas off each other. Or, hey, like, I tried this, it didn't work, or I tried this and it did work. Um, and you can learn a lot. Um, depending on how, like, if it's a, if you and your buddy are just fresh into it together, you guys are going to learn by sharing w- how your hunts went, you know. But if you're fresh into hunting and your buddy has been doing it for a while, you know, you're he's that guy you can go to and ask questions because Facebook has a lot of really good information, but you have to s- decipher through a lot of irrelevant information, in my opinion. Whereas your buddy that you've known generally isn't going to steer you in the wrong direction. They're going to try their best to help you out. At least that's how I approach it when I'm hunting with someone new or even, I mean, heck, Tyler will still ask me questions and I'll still ask Tyler questions. Hey, like what, you know, what about this? Or, you know, what, let's try this. But I think if you, if you hunt hunting with a buddy makes it more fun, you can learn more things. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's just, I just don't like hunting alone. So maybe it's just a me thing, but I would prefer to be hunting with, and I'm not, when I say hunting with someone, I'm not saying you guys are sitting in the same tree together, but you know, like when I go to my place in Corona, you know, me and, you know, one of the other people that have permission to hunt out there, you know, we get to hunt together. Or when I go to Ovid, me and, you know, the other guy are out there, you know, other guys are out there together. Um, you know, so we're just hunting the property at the same time, but it's just, I think, way more enjoyable with a buddy for sure. Yeah. I think it's difficult to find people to hunt sometimes. Like, not in the aspect of deer hunting or some Like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say, like, you know, I use the going out state stuff and all that, and I still haven't done it. And I, I was blaming it on my friends for a long time and like I didn't have people that pushed me like hey they want to go out here and you know I wasn't the at I think I was like more of an advent hunter and they weren't and then that that's how I like deciphered you know where to go from there and then I think what you're saying is find somebody that has that same ambition as you if you know if you stick around if you hang out with people that only hunt two weekends a year and, and if that's all you have go for it and you know i had buddies that you know they all they want to do is go up to deer camp with me and then that's it and they didn't want to do no time or nothing that's not what i was all about so i actually branched out you know with you and all that and you know i i I evolved my friends to be more passionate like me so i would become a better hunter so i could reach out to different you know to you and go hey why are they doing this or whatever and you know and i think that will like it's the old famous phrase you want to be successful hang out with successful people yeah no and i I agree with that so i mean like part of me uh as a person is understanding my love for deer hunting might not be what everyone else's is and uh you know like so my one of my best friends, Brady. 
So he, we've hunted together. We've done a lot of these things together. He just doesn't. It's not that he doesn't love hunting. He just doesn't necessarily have the same amount of time to go do it. Right. And I get so frustrated because it's like, man, like, I just want you to come hunting with me. You know, like, come hunting with me. Come hunting with me. And he's like, you know, man, like, I can't. I can't. You know, I, I got. He has other things to do. You know, he's running his own company. He's uh, he's got five kids. You know, like, it's it's things are different for him. Um, so I guess while on the topic of finding a buddy, also understand that, like, not everyone may have that same drive or just the same amount of time, right? Like, hell, Brady would go 100% of the time if he didn't have other responsibilities. Right. You know, it's just a matter of he's just got other things going on. Um, so I guess don't be overwhelming this is actually something i had to learn uh it, because of that is like understand why you do want buddies make sure you you, you know i i think i encourage you to do what you did to find friends that share that same love but don't get discouraged or mad when they say hey like you know i can't go tonight you know right it, it's just things happen and all my other friends that you know that don't hunt as much or don't hunt at all like i didn't throw them out of my life because they didn't hunt i just like i was just chasing something else and i was looking for people on that and i did have a difficult time finding people you know to be on that and like to go out west and stuff and i actually just i took a leap and i just said hey i'm gonna just go by myself and i'm going with a group of people that have this common interest as me but i don't know him personally and i just jumped out of there and then i had and i met these people and i was like wow these all these people are just like me and you know and now i have lifelong friends because i went out of my comfort zone to to find people more ambitious so if that's what you're trying to do is find more people i think you should definitely take the leap and you know the good places even facebook forms i know sometimes they can get real vulgar and all that with what you know and all that but you're just reaching out you know just talking to somebody like hey how are your season going and all this and then have like a small and then i've heard multiple people and personally me you know just a communication with somebody online turn into a friendship so yeah for sure i mean there's multiple ways you can do it. i would say if you ever meet me in person you're going to understand that I deer hunt within five minutes. I mean, I'll, I'll be 100% honest. When I first meet someone, hey, introduction, you know, we kind of talk. Uh, I'll, I'll bet you within five minutes I'm going to ask, you know, do you deer hunt, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're going to either say yes or no. And if you say no, like, I'm not going to shun you, but I'm going to be like, okay, well, like, I'll find something. We'll find something else to talk about. But, uh, I mean, you know, if you're going out on state land and, and you see someone in a parking lot, strike up a conversation, you know, if you, you know, same thing with that. Heck, our friendship started on Call of Duty. Right. Like we were playing Call of Duty together and, uh, you know, we knew we kind of hunted. So we just kind of started talking about it and then it just went from there. And now I'd say we talk. Um, almost on a daily basis and it's not always about deer hunting but we spend a lot of time talking about deer hunting um, so but that friendship is what like I guess 
I live for when it comes to hunting. Like I have a the lot camaraderie. of yeah. And that's why the deer camps are so strong. I think in my heart is because the camaraderie of just the people of you just share the woods with and just sometimes you you go to these places and it's not even about the animal or anything about that it's just about being surrounded by friends and family yeah that's i mean that's my favorite part of my out-of-state hunts you know is is getting back from your hunt and sharing your stories with your buddies or you get a deer or someone gets a deer everyone's out there helping you get it out of the woods and you guys are celebrating maybe throwing a couple beers back you know talking about the hunt and it's there's just not like that that's that's uh uh, not much like that i don't really know any better way to explain that for sure so um i mean as far as uh i I don't know i think we could go on all night yeah but but, i mean i think we did a lot of the key ones i mean there's definitely more i would say but i think at this good point i think this is a good point to yeah i would say i mean like i said there's so many different ways to attack deer hunting you're 100 percent correct with uh the do's and don'ts and this or that or you know up and down uh and we could probably do a month of these podcasts like this and probably never run out of a material we'd probably end up with more controversial i think we tried to stray away from that which was a good idea yeah um but hopefully what we talked about helps somebody i mean that's my goal because there's a lot of these things well it helped you yeah for sure yeah i would say a lot of what the the don'ts and, and the do's were things i learned the hard way like i didn't i didn't know oh you yeah know? i didn't have anyone to tell me hey don't do that yeah. Um, or hey, you know, go try that. So, hopefully, uh, hopefully it helps someone. And if yeah, it does, it, let us know. Save know? somebody's money to know what they should put their money into and what yeah. they can maybe hold off for a while. Yeah, I mean, something to make their hunt more enjoyable. I don't think we actually shared a ton of uh, like tactics, like how to approach this or how to approach that. I think it was yeah. kind of money saving I, and I, how to make it more enjoyable. What, and I'm okay with that. I think it, it, it's it's a great way for a first-time hunter because there are Even so not first-time hunters. I mean, yeah. some of this stuff, you know, and I'm not, you know, I didn't learn some of this stuff fuck it. And what? since I, like, two, three years ago, maybe even two months ago, I learned some of this stuff, you know. And it, like you said, it's a lot of the time we're learning from the hard ways with blisters the size <laughs> of pancakes <laughs> on my ankle. And I go, wow, I'm never going to do this again. And then I just do some research and I find out about the stuff. And I'm like, oh, that could have saved me a lot of time. And <laughs> a lot of annoying. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely hope we help at least one person out or you guys is just go and be more successful in the woods and learn the true beauty of the great outdoors. Yeah, for sure. And I would say we probably get more into tactics as deer season comes along because, uh, I just like there's so many different ways and when we come deer season I think we'll spend a lot of time talking about our hunts and and things like that and things we tried so I think that's where you'll either learn or laugh at our strategies that we uh try out in the woods but I think tonight uh you know hopefully we get to help somebody that that's my hope and if you're if you're listening and, and this does help you out or if you even have other ideas you know shoot us a message and and uh, let us know, and you know maybe we'll bring it up and 
Yeah. Like Give it, share it with everyone else. Matt just said that, you know, if you want to ask us a question, maybe we can answer it on air. Maybe we can do a Q&A or something, you know, if we get enough participant or, yeah, just maybe we'll do something like a little segment at the beginning of every show. If somebody has a question, we can answer. Um, we have an Instagram now. It's Generations to Hunt. I think that's Generation underscore to underscore hunt. And um, I'm working on a Facebook page. Uh, I think we're getting a lot of good um, response on the Instagram page. But uh, uh, Matt has a, a Instagram now or Facebook. I don't know what you want them to contact. I have Facebook and Instagram. The Instagram, I believe, so I just set it up. I believe it's at Matthew Raisin, uh, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-R-A-Y-S-I-N. Um it only has one picture right now, so I'll try to do yeah. better to upload that. But if you guys want to just add that up, and then uh, we are live on Spotify and Apple right now, and Anchor. Um, so if you want to subscribe to that and give us a review, that would help us greatly. <laughs> review, feedback, anything. Yeah, just, you know. yeah. You can tell us that we're ugly and we stink, and <laughs> I. Wouldn't mind. You no, know. We'll take it and uh, we'll we'll try to stink and be less ugly, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it might need a grinder to buff that shit out. Uh, but so, uh, I appreciate you guys' time. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you again next week.